WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 131, all about Tolkien. Hmm, excuse me, Tolkien, being the 131st part of That's What I'm Tolkien About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Luke Shelton. He is a Tolkien scholar and host of the podcast Tolkien Experience. And I did say Tolkien <laughs> there. <laughs> I, I have a feeling I'll go back and forth during this episode. <laughs> I, I do Welcome. too. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I, in my own experience, I, I read Tolkien way before I talked about him. And so I, it kind of fossilized as Tolkien for me. And, and so I, I still vacillate between the two. <laughs> yeah. But of course, the, what here, we're discussing today, the biopic Tolkien, and I, I make sure to say Tolkien there because the movie makes a deliberate you know, <laughs> point to say it's pronounced Tolkien, you know, not mm-hmm. Tolkien or Tolkien or whatever. So. Yeah, I, I remember that scene was in the commercials. And so several other people I know said, well, even if the movie's terrible, at least people will know how to say it now. <laughs> how to say Tolkien. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, that might be you know, the outcome of of what that movie, of what happened with this movie. So uh, Tolkien, the biopic about our homeboy, J.R.R. Tolkien, it was released on May 3rd, 2019, directed by Dom Karukoski, Karukoski, sure. I'm sure I said that perfectly. Um, It has a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 51%. The audience score is 71%, so a little bit nicer. Um, and it has a Metacritic score of 48. So all in all, not very great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before we jump into into some reviews, what are what's your general thought on the movie? When I go into a movie, I try to put aside a lot of my own baggage the first time and just be like, okay, is this a good movie? On that level, I think it's... About as successful as the Rotten Tomatoes score would give it. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. You know, it, it seems like they tried to really make it kind of a buddy story and a love story at the same time, which yeah. I feel like led to very shallow characterization, which made the story struggle. So that's that's kind of my review of what it was trying to do, uh, leaving aside the other things that I know about Tolkien. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And also, before I let our conversation go any further, I, I forgot to ask. I usually ask my guests right off the bat, how did you get introduced to Lord of the Rings and how, you know, what was your introduction to either The Hobbit or was it the movies, the books? And how mm-hmm. did that lead to what you do now with the Tolkien experience? I actually don't remember my first time reading The Hobbit. Uh, my first uh, memory of anything relating to Tolkien was that at my elementary school, I think I was in fourth grade, we had a storyteller who would come in each week and recite a chapter of The Hobbit from memory. Oh, wow. That's and, fun. And I must have read it before then because I remember listening very attentively because I wanted to catch him if he made a mistake because I was that <laughs> kid. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm that person when I go to see musicals that I have like the soundtrack memorized for. <laughs> this is what I did when I'm a terrible person when I finally saw Hamilton. Mm. I was like I know every word of the soundtrack <laughs> and I do remember at one point 
uh, an actor like it wasn't even that they messed up they like flipped like two words and i was mm. like i caught you so <laughs> i totally i'm the same person or uh, they chose to go to the lower note instead of the higher note there yes that one. yeah exactly <laughs> So that was my first um, first real memory. And then I was around 11 when I first read The Lord of the Rings um, at the recommendation of my mother, actually. It was kind of the, you like The Hobbit? Well, here's more books by the same author kind of thing. That was sh- actually shortly before the movies came out, but I was a very uh, unaware child. <laughs> and so I had no clue the movies were coming um, mm-hmm. until suddenly they were here. And I was like, oh there are movies and other people are aware of this book. (laughs) Well, also I feel like, you know, back then when the internet wasn't as much of a thing as Mm -hmm. it is today, you know, there, and especially like if, you know, when you're a kid, you're certainly not paying attention to like all the hype. But like nowadays, when there's an image released, the internet Mm -hmm. looks at every minute detail, every pixel of it. And so when the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out, I mean, I'm sure there, you know, there was that subset of like Lord of the Rings people on, you know, forums who were probably Mm -hmm. like analyzing every frame of teasers or trailers. But like, (laughs) to, you know, the everyday person, there wasn't always this huge hype or build up to to even massive movies. Yeah, yeah. Basically kind of piggybacking on that success, my mom works at universities. She's an administrator. And the one that she was working at at the time offered a a Tolkien course, an eight-week course where they were going to go through and read all the books and everything. And and, uh, she worked it out to where as like a sophomore in high school, I could go and sit in on that course. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. So that's like probably my biggest geek cred in high school was (laughs) I was I was going and sitting in on a literature class. And that was actually taught by Amy Sturgis, who uh, to this day is a really good friend. I've actually uh, reached out to her and she was busy at the time and couldn't come on for whatever episode I was thinking of. But yeah, I've, I've, I've connected with her and listeners, I'm sure at some point point in the future Amy will come on but yeah she seems like a real oh and also um she replied to one of my tweets saying that she was in the original or not maybe the original but she was in the audience for the Toronto Lord of the Rings musical which we discussed on last (laughs) Uh week's episode that it's so funny you know she's a Tolkien scholar and professor and the thing Mm -hmm. I was really impressed with was oh my god you saw Lord of the Rings the musical in Toronto (laughs) you're you're a Harry Potter fan aren't you I, I, have mm-hmm. a, I have a bigger moment of cred for her. She was in the invitation-only room when someone stood up and asked her if Dumbledore was gay. <gasps> she was in that room. Wow. <laughs> she was in the room where it happened. Yes, oh she was. Oh, my God. That's really impressive. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, Amy will definitely be coming. But, yeah, that's, that's really cool that um, – uh, so you said she was teaching that class? Yeah, she was teaching that's that class. That's so cool. Yeah. That's really cool. She's – a brilliant scholar and and uh, much much quicker and smarter than I am. So I'm, I'm sure you'd love to talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you on. Listeners, if you don't know, I was on the Tolkien Experience like two years ago, probably at this point. <laughs> it seems like a while ago because if I remember correctly, at the time that I came on, I'm not even sure I had f- finished reading Return of the King. I can't, I can't even remember no. if I had gotten to the point where they had destroyed the ring yet. 
Mm -mm. Um, But it was pretty early on in that experience. And it was before the films. uh, It was before I watched the movies. It was before I read The Hobbit. And then here I am, a (laughs) Tolkien expert. No, totally (laughs) kidding. As evidenced by watching this movie. And, you know, even though obviously I go into a, you know, a biopic or anything, a movie, you know, quote unquote, based on a true story, knowing that like, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But even the things that I learned from this movie, I, you know, that I didn't know, and I've kind of been holding back from looking into Tolkien's life and just picking up, you know, snippets here and there, because he's, he's such a fascinating human being. And it, it really hit me watching the movie during the, the battle scenes that he could have died in World War One, and mm-hmm. we would never know his stories. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible. And what's just so unfortunate is that as cool as I made all of that sound, this movie does a terrible <laughs> job of making yeah. him seem like an interesting person. The thing that this movie does that perhaps bothered me the most was they made Tolkien into the straight man for everyone else's humorousness. And Tolkien, by all accounts, was not that way. He was a cut-up in high school. and I was just waiting for the scene where he and C.S. Lewis show up to a party in polar bear suits. (laughs) That's the, you know, random factoid I know, but, you know, we didn't get that, yeah. In one of his clubs in college, he was actually nominated the jester of the club. Like, he was well-known for being that guy who who would make a joke. Now... I mean, he was certainly very intellectual, but he was not a- above kind of making a fool of himself and, and making a fool of other people. <laughs> yeah, that's a real shame that the movie just, just yeah, I think like really missed the mark. Um, before we start getting a little bit too negative, um, mm-hmm. I asked Luke to find a positive review. Listeners of the podcast who are also listeners of Bacon and Eggs, you know, on their m- movie podcast, they do a positive review and a negative review. And I was... I found a very negative review that I'll read in a second. So I was like, let me get Luke to read a positive review to maybe counter. Because it is still, um, I don't know. It's a nice film. It's Mm -hmm. not like it was, like, I've watched some movies and been like, that was terrible. Like, I suffered through that movie. (laughs) Um, This was just perfectly unassuming, you know. So I could picture an everyday moviegoer being like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. So what did someone say that might have been positive about it? So I found a review by Todd McCarthy for The Hollywood Reporter. And just a little excerpt from their first paragraph. Tolkien is a fastidious, keen-minded look at the tumultuous youth of the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. While snugly fitting within the conventions of respectable British period biographical dramas, the handsome film stresses both the daunting trials he endured and his brilliance as a scholar and incipient creator. Top that off with a charismatic lead turn by the dashing, convincingly smart Nicholas Holt, and Fox Searchlight looks to have a very good specialty item here. Yeah, that was very kind. That (laughs) was was. a very kind review, I think. (laughs) I I will say, I, I do think that the actors all did well with what they were asked to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh-huh, for sure. Tolkien, or J.R.R., J. I should say, because there's also his younger brother, Tolkien, is in here, mm-hmm. too, um, is played by Nick Nicholas Holt. Holt? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. And then Edith Bratt, who, of course, goes on later to be known as Edith Tolkien, mm-hmm. his lovely wife, is played by Lily Collins. But this was before... So I haven't seen Emily in Paris, but mm-hmm. from what I understand, she is Emily in Paris, right? 
Um, so she's obviously since gone on to have some more successful roles. But aside from that, the cast wasn't really, you know, like star studded as I thought it mm-hmm. might have been. I, I have to admit, leading up to this, um, my wife and I have been watching through season two of The Great, <laughs> the the Catherine the Great uh, show on Hulu. And Nicholas Holt is Peter, her husband, and he's just like an absolute buffoon. So it's really hard to come back and watch this movie and not think about him in that role. Him being there. Yeah. (laughs) It's also, it's really funny that he's in that series because I've noticed that like a lot of actors who do like period pieces, that tends to be like what they do. Like Mm -hmm. a lot, I was looking up some of the other actors on IMDb and some of them are in, in just like various different other Hulu or Netflix series that are, it might not be set during, you know, early 1900s or World War One, but it's like World War Two, or it's the 1800s mm-hmm. or it's the depression or whatever. There are these people who find like niche roles for like period pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just funny how like some of them have that look about them, I guess. <laughs> um, so I will read this review by I didn't write down who did it. So let me look that up real quick. (laughs) This is from David Sims with The Atlantic. He says, David Karukowski's new film about the writer's young life exists only because Tolkien would go on to create the world of Lord of the Rings. Thus, its entire narrative purpose is to check off every detail in the budding author's life that has some bearing on his work. Uh, the war material pulls no punches. The Somme was a cruel, horrifying moment in world history, and, Kar- and Karukowski depicts it bluntly. Most baffling of all, the film overlooks the fascinating details of Tolkien's later life in favor of bonds between Tolkien and his teenage friends that aren't fully, exactly like you said, aren't fully developed, these characters. Karukowski might have told a powerful story about the legacy of World War I and the havoc it wreaked on a generation, or he might have taken a more sweeping epic scope befitting his subject and instead Tolkien does nothing more than lay out the basics of its hero's life. It feels like a wasted opportunity. And that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the you know, the biggest problem with Tolkien's life is, and I think he made a remark like this, uh, of after World War One, it becomes quite unremarkable. Um, like he's a he's an English scholar, so he does English scholar stuff like research and grades papers and talks to students. And it's not really the captivating stuff that World War One could be. Mm-hmm. So I, I sympathize with the reviewer. But at the same time, it's like if you widen out past World War One, you're looking at some dull periods just, in the movie. Yeah, I'm just like <laughs> sitting at a desk. Yeah, exactly. It. I can definitely see why they and the, the thing is, is that his experience in the war did have a profound mm-hmm. whether or not he... Can you actually, you know what? Can you set me straight? Does Tolkien, did he like it or not like it when people say, you know, that there are these parallels between Lord of the Rings and his experiences with the war? Because they are very obvious to me, but I I think someone told me that Tolkien denied that there was any connections. And then later on, people are saying, no, that's not true. So, so what, what did he say? So it depends on what part of Tolkien you read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like in the foreword to Lord of the Rings, he comes out and says that he cordially dislikes allegory in all of its forms, but he likes applicability. And so you have to get into what is the difference between the two. And he says the difference is that allegory is in, I think he says, the purposed dominion of the author, 
whereas applicability is in uh, the control of the reader. So it's it's up for interpretation if it's applicability, whereas allegory is this is what this means. That's what the author is mm-hmm. laying out. So it, it sounds like in some places, Tolkien does leave the door open for interpretation. But um, very famously, what he's he's refuting is the idea that some people put forward that the ring was a symbol for the atom bomb or the H-bomb. That, that would be a pretty intense <laughs> connection. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you get it to this one spot in the enemy territory, it destroys all of the enemy. Yeah, okay, that one part works, but uh, he he says in a letter, people who say that seem to forget that I was writing this well before the the H bomb had been invented. Um, yeah, and also I was in World War One, not World War Two. So so he does also seem to suggest that you know there's not a one to one correspondence between his relationship and his books, but he he does acknowledge that the the war did have some influence on him. Um, he particularly points out the Dead Marshes leading up to. To Mordor, where he he sees the bodies lying in uh, Frodo sees the bodies lying in the water. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably something he could have pulled straight from his memory of the war, um, seeing dead bodies in the water like that. Yeah, and um, like w- watching the movie while he is in this. So I guess I guess let's talk about like the framing of the movie mm-hmm. and what kind of like generally how are they telling the story of Tolkien? It opens immediately. He is in the trenches. In World War One, at the Battle of Somme, which is one of the most major battles, not just in World War One history, but in you know history as a whole, especially for um, something something that um, as an American that's really easy to do is to distance um, like World War One and Two from our history because that wasn't fought on our land and for people in Europe and in the UK and London and you know where where Tolkien was growing up and where he was from this is this impacted people's lives directly um and so this is a very big battle and so he is in this battle he is sick and not doing well but he is trying to get to the front to find his friend mm-hmm. kind of at the request of his friend's mother via a letter because she hasn't heard from him in a while he is sick and not doing well and so he's struggling to to get there meanwhile the, his his background is being told in what appear to be flashbacks but in the battle, in his like life in the quote unquote present, there doesn't seem to be an event that like, oh, he looks over at something and it reminds him of his, yeah. you know, childhood. And that's what triggers this flashback. We're mm-hmm. just, you know, seeing it once, you know, these flashbacks of his uh, upbringing and his childhood catch up to him at the battle then it it moves forward where he wakes up in a hospital, Edith is there, and he moves on with his life and eventually has a family and writes The Hobbit. So that's just kind of the very basic outline of the movie um, for for people who may not have seen it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but yeah, with these battle scenes, it was really apparent to me of like, oh, wow, when they show, you know, the desolation of something, I was like that. I 100% see how like that's inspiration for, you know, the desolation of Mordor or, Mm. you know, I see how this story turns into Sam and Frodo trudging along in Mordor with like the weight of the world on their shoulders Hmm. um, in a land that is just sucked out of any kind of hope or joy. Mm -hmm. And so it it is really, I appreciate the movie for that of like really putting it into, 
you know, visualizing that those ideas of like, here's here's some of the ways in which the war or particular battles may have influenced how he wrote um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And, and just to underscore the, the real human toll of this battle, I, mm-hmm. I think I was in eighth grade when I did some kind of like Tolkien biography project or something. But I was curious. So I looked up the the casualties of the psalm. There were so many. I sat down to do the math. If I remember correctly, there was something like a soldier died every three seconds for more than oh 24 gosh. hours. Wow. So that's... Yeah. It was a substantial loss of human life. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it is still the bloodiest battle in Western warfare. Um, yeah. I think that the if, if we were talking about just a normal war movie, I think this would have been fine. But you're talking about the Battle yeah. of the Somme. Like, I think the only part where you really start to grasp the gravity of it is when he falls into that random pool of blood surrounded by bodies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, the pool of blood. And then there are all these bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It's interesting you say that because, like, I was kind of looking at this as, like, okay, well, maybe this is more meant to be a war movie. But mm-hmm. even then, I don't think it's a great war movie because it's, you know, it's just showing the perspective of this one guy. I mean, obviously, like, that's who we're here to watch, mm-hmm. you know. But it doesn't really show. I thought, oh, okay, we're going to see him. We're going to see more of his experiences throughout the war, you mm-hmm. know, or the lead up to it or, you know, um, we're going to see the effects it had on. We kind of saw a little bit, but I thought we would see the mm-hmm. effects of it after he, you know, left the war. But we don't really see any of that. It, it is very much, you know, just from Tolkien's perspective, which, again, mm-hmm. this is a biopic. So that's what we're going to do. It doesn't really give us a real sense of what Tolkien did in the war. Because right, yeah. the entire war scene, it's really a scene of him looking for a friend. And by the way, he abandons his post to do that, which is a court-martialable offense, which Tolkien certainly would not yeah. have done. <laughs> yeah, this, um, so what's happening, listeners, is that he, yeah, he's gotten this letter from his friend's mom saying, I haven't heard from him in a while. Have you seen him? And he is trying to go to the front where he supposedly is and find his friend. Um, and meanwhile, there is a, a soldier who is, I guess, beneath his post, mm-hmm. who is helping him along this journey. And wouldn't you know it, his name is yeah. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, and yeah, so he's going on this journey. And he at one point, he gets to the front where they're, you know, hopping over the barrier, jumping headfirst head into the battle with, you know, bullets flying everywhere. And I'm like, there's no way this actually <laughs> happened. There's no way that Tolkien, you know, what he did actually have trench fever. That is what happened. Mm-hmm. But there's no way he would have, you know, broken rank and gone to find his friend and jumped into, you know, uh, jumped into just like a flood of, you know, bullets and gut. And then there's their fire and gas and, and everything. I'm like, there's no way that actually <laughs> happened. And of course, I was like, there's no way, there's no way that there was a soldier named Sam (laughs) who was helping him along the way. That part really got me. I was like, are you kidding me? His name is Sam. Yeah, that's that's a bit on the nose. So that position is true. Like the the officers were given a Batman is what they were called. Like not like the superhero, like (laughs) it, it was another soldier who fought in the war. But when they were not engaged in conflict, 
that soldier was responsible for menial tasks for the officer so that the officer could focus on other oh, duties okay. that he had to do. Uh, so like the Batman would like shine his shoes, make sure he got a meal, those kinds of things. Basically what Sam does for Frodo. But we don't know that he ever had a Batman named Sam. But I mean, <laughs> I can see why they do that. It's just a, it's a bit on the nose. Yeah, it, it really is. And there are several moments too where they're really hitting you on the head like, hey, this is a story about the guy who did Lord of the Rings where he's like hallucinating mm -hmm. knights or whatever on horses fighting. He's hallucinating a dragon when there's fire, the smoke um, has like shadow figures in it. So it does kind of treat the, the audience as if I don't know, as if they're dumb, as if like we're not sitting there already expecting to like find, you know, or look for fun Lord of the Rings Easter eggs, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. they, they really are like they're very obvious. And I'm like, we didn't need this mm -hmm. guy named Sam helping him <laughs> along the way like that didn't need that parallel that you're drawing mm. that probably didn't even happen, you know? So he did develop trench fever, but he did not develop trench fever in the trenches. Tolkien was in forward positions. He was a communications officer. So he was responsible for when, when the army went forward and advanced, he would go with them to set up a new communication station to relay information back to the people behind them. So he was on the front line, but he contracted trench fever away from the front line and then got medical treatment and was sent home before ever going back to the trenches. I mean, we can't say for sure, but I'm, I would be surprised if he had hallucinations brought on by trench fever. Yeah, I can, I could see that happening, but they definitely, you know, kind of forced their hand there with, with that aspect. And then, dear listener, I took a sip of water and choked on it so bad that I thought I was going to have to call 911 on myself. I have no clue what happened to my body, but my throat closed and I could not breathe. Um, it was kind of terrifying. Anyway, it's all good now. But when I hopped back on the call after I had stopped dying, my voice was still kind of iffy and my throat was still sore and dry. So there might be a couple moments where you hear my voice start to give out or my throat sounds really croaky. So that's just what happened. Just some fun behind the scenes stuff in my life. Anyway, on with the pod. Let's talk a little bit about Tolkien's childhood. Um, he and his brother uh, lived with his mother. From what I understand, uh, his father died when he was very young. Mm -hmm. His mother also died when she was um, when they were very young. Um, mm -hmm. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about Tolkien's childhood while I put this cough drop in my okay. mouth? Tolkien's very young life is quite interesting. So he was born in South Africa because his family had moved down there for his dad to have a job at a bank. Tolkien had some uh, health concerns when he was younger. Um, and so he and his brother and mother uh, came back to England to live for a time. Uh, they intended to go back, but while they were up here, their dad fell ill and died. And so that's uh, none of that is really covered in the movie except for kind of a passing comment about partway in. We see them living with their mother in... Um, I don't remember what it was. Sarahole for... That, that's right, yeah. But like watching, you know, seeing it on screen, I was like... It's the Shire, you know, yeah. <laughs> you really see like where he got his inspiration from with mm -hmm. uh, like the, these beautiful, you know, beautiful English countryside. You're like, that's the Shire for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. 
uh, we see like one scene in Serhol and then it, th- they, they're like, okay, we're packing up and we're moving to Birmingham. It's true that that happened, but the way that it's handled in the movie, it's like, okay. It's very quick. Yeah, and Tolkien hated it. And also let's introduce Father Morgan in the worst way possible. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't really get a grip. I was like, are we supposed, is this a good guy? Are we supposed to, you know, are, is he a good person in Tolkien's life? Or is he supposed to be like a formidable, you know, authoritarian figure, mm-hmm. you know? From what I understand, uh, literally, I just like, I didn't even, I couldn't even read the whole Wikipedia article. I just, you know, skimmed it. Mm. Um, he kind of took control over like guardianship mm-hmm. sort of for the Tolkien family. Mm-hmm. And even uh, even before his mother died, right? Kind of like helping the family out. Is that yes. what I understand? So I understand not wanting to cover Tolkien's religion and how that played into his writing in the movie. But you have to understand the social context because of their religion at the time. After moving to England, Tolkien's mother converted to Catholicism. And because of that, um, the rest of their family essentially disowned them. So she didn't really have anyone to rely on. Up to that point, they had had some help from some uncles and things like that. But financially, they were they were cut off. Um, and so Father Francis Morgan met them because basically in his job at, at working for the Catholic Church, he was providing assistance to them. Um, and they they became close friends through that. He did a lot in terms of finding them housing when they needed housing, things like that. When Father Morgan died, Tolkien actually says that he was more than a father to me. So they were they were very close. Um, and I think the only hint we really get of that is when Father Morgan is is trying to introduce them to the the lady whose house they're going to be staying at, and he yeah. he has that cute scene where he's saying like, "Oh, she's a fearsome lady eating the." The leg bone of a child. Yeah, she has claws and scales. But the good news, (laughs) there is cake. Yeah, Yeah. I thought that was a really, yeah, cute, sweet moment. So, you know, I understand why they don't have a lot of his character in this in this movie, because. Right. Yeah. You know, he's tangential. But you gave us one good scene and two really, two really bad scenes, really. Um, And so I just felt like they could have done a little bit more to balance that out. They were very close. and And I just wish that had been a little bit better portrayed in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it was a very unique situation. And speaking of things that were very sudden in the movie, the death of Tolkien's mother. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So um, so what happens is he's ha- he has a fun childhood in what I'll call the Shire, <laughs> where he originally grew up and or, or I guess originally lived, I should say, because he didn't his first couple of years would have been in South Africa, I guess. And uh, in the movie, then he, he literally comes home. Father Francis is there and it's like, hey, you're moving to Birmingham. And he's like, okay. (laughs) And this is, again, kind of where um, I don't know if Tolkien intended it to be this way. Again, with like, you know, what he he said um, was left up to interpretation. But um, the way that they transition from, you know, beautiful English countryside to industrial gross Birmingham seems so obvious to me of like oh the shire versus you know what it was like the scouring of the shire and (laughs) how the war affect you know because because in in that chapter there's all of this kind of commentary on like you know nature versus industrialization it was literally just like very stark contrast Mm. between the beautiful nature that he grew up in versus this you know gross city that he moved to and his mom is very kind and caring and you see where he gets his love of storytelling from. She's very active and involved with telling this bedtime story. And then they come home one day and she's dead in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> like there was no, I would, 
you know how in a in a period drama someone coughs and probably what I could do now, honestly. <laughs> coughs into a tissue and there's blood. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, they're dying. <laughs> you know, oh, they have tuberculosis or whatever. Oh, okay, that's how you know that they're sick and dying. No sign of that in this movie. She's just dead. And then Tolkien does say something later on in the movie when he's older saying, you know, she had been sick, but you don't really see it. It's very sudden. And then all of a sudden they're like at the boarding house Mm -hmm. and like things, the way that the scenes in this movie move from one to the other feel very disconnected. There's like not a lot of emotion to some of these very huge events that are happening Mm -hmm. to Tolkien. Yeah. Speaking of things that the movie doesn't quite get Right. Tolkien's mother had been sick. Um, in reality, she spent time in hospital. The The Tolkien boys were sent off to live with different relatives for a time, uh, then came back to live with her again, things like that. So it was not, I mean, I am sure it probably felt like a shock to them that their mother could possibly have died when they were that young. But historically, it is not nearly that sudden. <laughs> yeah, I believe she had what we know now is uh, diabetes. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's it's a bit strange because you would think that because one of the main themes in Tolkien's work is suffering or or to use um, one of his phrases, fighting the long defeat, a, a prolonged illness would seem to align more with that theme than sudden death. <laughs> yeah, I guess they just needed, you know, you got to get the plot moving along because they're like, yeah. we, we need to get him to school so that we can have a more condensed, less beautiful dead poet society moment (laughs) um and granted tolkien was doing dead poet society before dead poet society was even a thing you know so yeah after his mother dies he and his brother are shuffled along to this boarding house where this woman kind of takes guardianship over them or it was she just like the boarding lady at the house basically she owned the house and she she let them live there, basically. Oh, okay. Um, so Father Morgan was technically their guardian throughout that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was much more of a, like, oh, she's our guardian, which is why later when Edith is introduced and she's also living in the house, I was like, oh, so Tolkien also fell in love with his, like, pseudo-foster <laughs> sister? Okay, then I see how Aragorn and Arwen happened. Um <laughs> But then, okay, so that wasn't really the case. They were they were just living there as mm-hmm. boarders. Got it. So yeah, so they start going to school, and Tolkien at first is not getting along with some of the boys. But then, um, one of the punishments that he have to do he has to do is to uh, follow along, basically do everything with the boy that he gets in this fight with. He and these other two boys start forming, you know, a friendship. They go to this tea house and talk about poetry and and books and music. And they form what they call the... Okay, so it's the TCB... So the Tea Club and Barovian Society. TCBS. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so if you're watching the movie and you're like, this feels so... This is when I was like, so it's Dead Poets Society. Um, But I I did have to remind myself that like, no, this is actually based in reality. Tolkien (laughs) did do this. And this was before, you know, Robin Williams did that incredible movie. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think... So again, just like they condensed everything else, they really condensed what actually happens. And they, of course, removed dozens of characters, dozens of real people. And it, it... it's a very, very, very condensed story, like you were saying. But overall, I think they got the swaths of the TCBS correct. Like, they really did feel like they would have the ability to change the world. Um, that that was something they believed in, which, you know, seems a bit 
presumptuous to us as as moderners, I guess, mm. but and and particularly, I guess, as a thirty something, I'm way past thinking I can change the world. But well, also, it's um watching it, knowing that maybe not necessarily if you're watching this movie and you've never you don't you don't know about anything about Tolkien's upbringing or his friends before the war or anything. Even just watching them being like, oh, there's this huge war coming. They they're so innocent and they think they're going to change the world. And later on we learn that two of these four boys die in the Battle of Somme, I believe. Even if you don't know what's, you know, what's going to come to those specific boys, it is really hard, especially as adults looking at these children who are like, we're going to go and sit in this little, this tea shop. We're going to discuss literature and music and poetry and we're going to save the world and we're going to change it. And it is very, it's like very melancholic, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is kind of like the mood for the movie, honestly, which is a shame because yeah. I think it could have been a lot, a lot more fascinating, a lot more exciting, you know, adventurous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very dry in places. Um, I, I think, like you were saying that this is Dead Poet Society, I, I do think that they get into a mode in this point in the movie where it does feel very much like a school days film, like a separate piece or, or something like that. And I think I would have been fine if it just stayed there. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was my main problem is that um, the point of a biopic is you have a historical figure who has an interesting enough life that you deem it worthy to tell in a movie. And so when you do that, you need to pick you need to pick an angle. You need to pick a focus to say what is the story we are telling through the life of Tolkien, you know? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you would just make a documentary. Mm-hmm. What is the angle here? What's the focus? And that was the thing for me is it seemed like the movie couldn't pick it and it's like mm-hmm. are we going to focus on World War 1 and the devastating effects that it had on, you know, not just his life, but his friend's life, um, the ways that it influenced his writing or the things that it, the ways it influenced Lord of the Rings. Are you going to focus on the romance between him and Edith? Mm -hmm. Are you going to focus on the way that he loves language and he loves learning? Are you going to focus on, oh, well, he's He's an orphan and he came from nothing and he look at all these obstacles and barriers he had to go to go through where um, at one point he's threatened to be kicked out of Oxford and he has to like fight his way back in Mm -hmm. and like prove himself, you know. And so I'm like, what's the story? Are we telling the story of this friendship, these great bonds that he had with the, the TCBS and how that supposedly may have inspired fellowship which again is a, a very on the nose moment that comes later in yeah. the movie where he's like he's telling his his kids I have a story I'm going to write and they're like what's it about and he lists all these things and then he goes it's about friendship fellowship mm-hmm. and I'm like okay so is that the focus of of this movie of Tolkien is the <laughs> friendship and fellowship he found with the TCBS boys. Okay, great. Then let's focus on that. But Mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, you need to have a story or a focus from his life where the heart of the movie is going to lie. And they didn't really seem to pick one area. You know, I don't think you, you milked the pause before fellowship enough. Um, I, (laughs) (laughs) they, they really, they really milked that pause there in the movie because it was like, Oh, he's going to say it and everyone knows he's going to say it. So let's wait 10 full seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Fellowship. Yeah. Well, so let me let me set up this moment for for people who maybe didn't watch the movie. He is it's after the war. There's a scene where 
he's like riding his bike and he's waving to people. I'm assuming he's a professor now Mm -hmm. is what has happened. And he looks very happy. And then Mm -hmm. in the very next scene, he's like in his office looking like longingly at these sketches and pieces of writing so far that he's created that at this point is seemingly disconnected. But we're looking at it like, oh, that's Lord of the Rings. (laughs) And then there's a scene where he sits with Edith on the porch and she's like, the children left you pudding by your door but you didn't eat it and she's like you need to decide if you're going to write or if you're going to leave it alone because you're annoying me and then (laughs) they go on a walk in the woods and then he's like I have a story to tell you children and it's about quests and adventures and and so again with like there's no you know connection between Mm -hmm. these scenes and so in the scene where he's like it's about adventures and journeys it's about yeah friendship fellowship it really (laughs) felt like the writers being like i don't think we know what this movie is about (laughs) so let's list off a couple things that both the lord of the rings and this movie are about (laughs) or could be about you know they say show don't tell Mm -hmm. but it really felt like we were being told in that moment Mm -hmm. yeah it it was it was very over the top there. Mm. And and I get it. You're you're building to this climactic moment where it's like, oh, here's the connection with the rest of the entire movie um, and, and the books that we actually know about. But it's like, I mean, you already did so much work making his Batman named Sam and giving him visions that are like directly parallel to Lord of the Rings, even though he hasn't even thought of the Lord of the Rings yet. Yeah, that's what I that's so... what I thought, right? <laughs> he hasn't even he hasn't really even thought of the Hobbit yet, right? right? Because from what I understand, he, all of a sudden, the word Hobbit just popped into his head one day. And he's like, that's a funny word. And then he starts coming up with a story that he tells to his kids at, at bedtime. And then there's that what, what I really wanted to see is the scene that started the writing of The Hobbit, where he's telling this story to his son, Christopher. Mm. And Christopher says, but last night you said oh, yeah. the door was blue, you know, and then Tolkien said, damn the boy mm-hmm. and went and started writing it down. I would have loved to see that scene. You know, <laughs> I would have loved there was a quote from a, a review I read. I'm trying to see if I can find it. Everything that happens seems irritatingly in service of a punchline, the creation of Lord of the Rings that never comes because we have all of this lead up to how does he get to the point where he writes The Hobbit, where he writes Lord of the Rings and he does sit down and and write. We see him write in a hole in the ground. There lived a Hobbit. And then the movie ends. And it's like, no, that's when it was getting good, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I want to see I want to see him writing the story and coming up with it. And I want to mm-hmm. see him maybe telling it to his kids or people saying, or Lewis, C.S. Lewis coming <laughs> in and being like, that's stupid or, you know, whatever. And That's stupid. Call me Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would have been so fun. Um, But yeah, it, de- it definitely all felt like, okay, we're telling this life story. We're showing... The, the building blocks that created the man who created Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. but we don't get to see that creation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they they went with the other myth about the creation of, of The Hobbit. Just like there's the myth about him telling the story to his son, there's the myth that Tolkien shared that the way that The Hobbit came about was he was grading papers. And I think he says it as he's reading through one paper, he, he finds a miraculous thing, a blank page. And so on that blank page, he writes, on a hole in the ground, there lives a hobbit. And he's like, well, what's a hobbit? I have to write this to figure it out. And so, you know, they they went with that creation myth instead of the Christopher Tolkien creation myth. These are, these are different stories that 
Tolkien himself or the family have have spread around. And, and so they just kind of picked the one that they wanted. But I agree. I think the the, the telling the story at night, uh, that would have been much more uh, uh, entertaining to me, at least. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I think um, I think that framing would have been really fun for the whole movie Tolkien. So th- this is how I fix the movie in my head <laughs> of like, this is what I would do. If you're doing the biopic of Tolkien, you have it set where he's already written The Hobbit. He's already written Lord of the Rings. And one of his kids asked him, you know, Dad, how did you come up with the idea for The Hobbit or whatever? How did you how did you write Lord of the Rings? How did you do this? What made you think of the idea? And he's like, well, it's a long story. And he starts telling this story of his life and telling these, you know, pieces that made him into the man who created Lord of the Rings. And he goes off on all these tangents about TCBS and World War One and his and we keep cutting back to the kid being like, Dad, that has nothing to do with the original question <laughs> of what I asked you. And he's like, no, 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 it all matters because that's very much the writer that Tolkien is hmm. or was, you know, where you're reading these things and he goes off on a tangent about a tree or whatever. And you're like, why does this matter? And he's like, no, 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 it all matters. <laughs> so that's almost what I would have done is, you know, have him telling this story in very great detail. And so that's why we're seeing all of these seemingly random pieces, but to him are all very important to his life and the creation of of the things that he did. So I, I am suddenly getting visions of a How I Met Your Mother style I was, series. I, I, I also thought it was very, uh, very How I Met Your Mother asked. That might be um, inspired by the fact that I did recently start rewatching How I Met Your Mother. For some reason, I was like, I just need a show on, and I put on How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> but you know what? I would, I would watch a, a, a TV series. You know, How I Wrote Lord of the Rings, and it's like, Dad, why is this? Why is this story about you know your crazy friend C.S. Lewis important? <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, it all matters. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how the movie depicts his relationship with his wife, Edith. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I mentioned, she's introduced to us. We hear a piano being played and he walks down in the boarding house. And this is when, like I said, where I was like, wait a minute. So this woman is like <laughs> adopting them and he's in love with his adopted sister now? Okay. <laughs> but no, that's not, that wasn't really the case. But yeah, he walks down and sees this lovely girl playing a piano. And wouldn't you know it, her name is Edith. And so we know that that will go on to be his wife. They forge a connection, of course, living in the same house and talk a lot and share ideas and thoughts. Eventually, he invites her to a TCBS meeting where one of the other boys starts like really connecting with her, talking about music, and he seemingly gets jealous and then they storm off and she's mad at him. And to make up for that, he takes her to an opera called The Ring Cycle, do you know if this was a real, was, was this a real opera that mm-hmm. they went to see? Um, yes. Okay, so it's really funny because at the start of this podcast, I always made the joke that, oh, there are no original ideas because reading Lord of the Rings, I was like, oh, everything comes back to Lord of the Rings. Mm. Everything that I watch nowadays or read nowadays has some kind of basis or foundation in Lord of the Rings. And so watching the movie, there's um, a really funny quip that one of the boys says about the opera. Why would you spend six hours to tell a story about a magic ring? (laughs) And I just laughed out loud at that because it's like, Tolkien, you're going to do that, but even longer (laughs) in a couple Mm -hmm. years or decades, I guess, at that point. Yeah, they go see this opera. 
they can't get in. Again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about like what story are they telling? Mm-hmm. Because they're very much not from this, cl- you know, they're they're from the lower class sort mm-hmm. of m- middle class, I guess, where they're orphans, they're poor. They can't afford to get into the audience tier that is affordable for them and they're not dressed for appropriately. So they like sneak around the alley and just listen to it instead. And so again, and so I was like, and there, there's also another moment where they're in a restaurant kind of like laughing at everyone and Edith is all of a sudden um, self-conscious because she doesn't have a hat. And so I'm like, okay, so is the story they're telling about how he is of a different class than everyone? You know, if that's the story, then let's tell that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah. So you see them growing in their relationship. But eventually he flunks his entrance exam for Oxford. And Father Francis says, you can either choose a relationship with her or go to Oxford, basically. And he chooses to go to Oxford. Or rather, she she kind of ends it there years later in call or when the war is breaking out after they've already been in university and everything there are some letters exchanged where he finds out oh no she's engaged (laughs) and then very dramatically very romantically they're like reunited the morning he's supposed to ship out and then he goes running back to her you know they, they kiss and she you know, is going to call off the engagement to the other guy and they're back together. Um, So that's very dramatic and romantic. And from what I understand, not at all how it happened again. (laughs) I was a bit surprised what they did with this with this arc, to be honest. Um, So his his meeting of her in the house, um, the so overall, I think the cinematography is good in the movie, the costuming, set design, all that's great. But but for this scene where he's like sneaking down and he keeps seeing glimpses of her in different positions, <laughs> uh, different mirrors positioned around the house. I, I was watching this with my wife and I said, all of these mirrors are really handily placed in this house. How is this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was um, something that I thought like would be played up more because later on when they're, you know, kind of like developing this relationship, he uses a hand mirror mm-hmm. to um, look over like the balcony so that he can see when the landlady, I guess, mm-hmm. the the boarding house lady has left so that Mm -hmm. then oh okay it's safe for us to go out and and do our thing and yeah there's another mirror in the hall too that shows like when she comes in and out of the front door yeah you're totally yeah this thing about mirrors i don't know yeah what happened with that (laughs) so yeah he they they met and fell in love and and basically father francis says you know you you can't have that relationship now i i for he puts his foot down he says i forbid you from seeing i forbid it Mm -hmm. yeah and and that's true and a line that kind of made me chuckle he he goes and she isn't even catholic which is you know funny for us but that was very serious Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. back then and and especially for people who are catholic (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and that's around the time that he's 18 and then when he's 21 as soon as he gets out from under father francis's uh, guardianship he sends her a letter and he sends her the letter and she responds and that's how he finds out that she's engaged um he instigates the connection and after he finds out he goes to her to convince her to marry him instead. It's like, why didn't you include that? That is so much better than the story you told. I don't told. know. I guess, <laughs> I guess it's just easier to combine the scenes. The war is beginning and also his, rela- you know, <laughs> just like put it into one scene. You yeah. Know? But yeah, that, that would have been really great. And, and instead, there's this scene where he is drunkenly 
Mm -hmm. uh, walking through the courtyard of Oxford, rambling in, I guess, Elvish of Mm -hmm. some kind. It's clearly one of the languages he's made up. And he's causing quite a ruckus and he's drunk and he's very upset about learning the engagement of Edith to another man. And I'm like, there's no way that that actually happened (laughs) of him drunkenly causing disorder Mm -hmm. at Oxford, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tolkien enjoyed his beer as much as the next person, but I I haven't heard stories of him spouting Elvish in, in the courtyards where he's not supposed to be. I feel like that would be a really <laughs> well-known story of Tolkien if it happened. That's certainly not the way that he met his professor. <laughs> he met Professor Wright much earlier in his time at, at Oxford, not from some drunken debauchery one night. <laughs> the other thing that the movie gets wrong about his relationship with Edith that I think is unfortunate is they got married before he left for the war. Right. Yeah. And I I think that that's a missed opportunity to show her strength in a lot of ways in in being married to someone who's at war is a difficult position to be in. And it takes Mm -hmm. someone of of great fortitude and and really resilience to to go through that. Um, So I think by not having them be married, they missed out on character development for her. In a lot of yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. And again, that um, if the story they were setting out to tell was the effect of World War One on, you know, Tolkien and his friends' lives and Edith's life, then that would I'm sure that would have been part of the story. But they just weren't sure what kind of story they wanted to tell with his life. And so had it been a World War One story, maybe that would have been a bigger part of it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a great point. Let's see what else. Oh, let, let's talk a little bit more about TCBS. So <laughs> there are these three boys. Ah, I, I, I wish I could remember. All, let's see. Christopher Wiseman, mm-hmm. Ro, uh, Robbie Gilson, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Smith. Mm-hmm. At first, we're kind of led to be, believe, oh, okay, he's going to have a close friendship with Robbie because that's who he initially gets in this fight with. Um, and then there's, and then later on, there's the scene where Robbie is standing up to his dad, who is the headmaster. And I'm like, why Why do we have this scene? You know, what's the point of this? Uh, this is a lot of focus on on Robbie's character. And then all of a sudden, the, the focus kind of shifts where now he has a very close relationship with Jeffrey. And Jeffrey is the one who comes and comforts him when he's drunk and crying over Edith. Tolkien tries to defend Jeffrey. They get into some trouble where... From what I understand, all they do is like go sit on a bus and they're drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, The bus is like unattended at night and they like get arrested for it. Um, And that's what he almost gets kicked out of Oxford for. (laughs) He says, I've been sent down and I had to Google search the phrase sent. I was like, what does that mean? Basically, it means kicked out of Oxford for bad behavior. Anyway, and so he tries to defend what happened to them to Jeffrey's mother and is like, he's really, you know, a talented poet and you know he didn't that was my fault and of course Jeffrey is the person who in the Battle of Somme in this framing device that we're having that he is running after to try and go find. We find out that he he dies in, in the battle and after the war he connects with his mother to get his poetry published. And so I was like, okay, so we have this really and almost in a way where they kind of I, I at one point I was like are they setting up that Jeffrey was in love with Tolkien? Because there's also a lot of focus about, again, it was, um, for me, there was a moment where they did tell, don't show, where Tolkien says, like, Jeffrey encap- you know, embodied what it meant 
to love another person. And I'm like, did he? I didn't huh. necessarily see that. And all of a sudden there's scenes where he's talking about love with Tolkien and he's looking at him very intensely. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot, there are a lot of moments where I'm like, what's the story we're telling with each of these boys that he's mm-hmm. connecting with? And again, the focus is kind of all over the place. Yeah, there's there's that particular scene after the 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 night of, of drunken shouting uh, in the morning, supposedly they're sitting together and G.B. Smith says in the movie something along the lines of, um, you know, uh, unrequited love is the purest kind of love because it never changes. And he talks about, you know, if you love someone who can't love you back for some reason, and it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was that was exactly it. Yeah, that's right. He starts talking about unrequited love. And I'm like, so is that the story we're telling here? <laughs> like, what's the story? Every time there was a new, there was a, you know, a different scene um, between these different characters. I was like, okay, so the story we're telling is the story of his friendship with these boys. Oh, no. Okay. The story we're telling is his romance with Edith. No. Okay. We're telling World War One. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. We have a scene with the professor there's this very long um walk and talk scene that he has with this professor who he bumps into really they start talking about trees and i was like if this conversation actually happened i 100 percent see how tolkien's love of trees started i get where <laughs> it came from now this is professor wright who uh i guess was a big influence for tolkien then they they have lots of converse really interesting conversations about you know language and words and uh, i was like okay so this is a story about his love of language you know (laughs) and i guess it was all those things but when you're telling uh you know hour and a half story of a man's a very interesting man's life you know you got to pick kind of one piece of the pie to focus Mm on yeah I, I liked Derek Jacobi's portrayal of Joseph Wright. Joseph Wright was a was a megastar in linguistics at the time. Um, I yeah, I thought he did. The actor was really great and really portrayed like the gravitas of a professor who is very well respected and knows what he's talking about. But he also seemed to you know have a lot of um, openness to like m- being a mentor at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah, I, I think one thing that they did well with. Jeffrey Smith uh, was the the use of his letter to Tolkien um, as as kind of the the emotional climax in the war. I wish they had used more of their letters. So for full disclosure, the the person who wrote the book on this topic is John Garth. Uh, he wrote a book called Tolkien and the Great War, and kind of the way that he tells the story is he uses the letters between these four people, uh, the four members of the TCBS, and he kind of gives you letters throughout all of the different phases of their life and, and throughout the war mm-hmm. and things. And that excerpt is is one that he uses in, in the book. Yeah, that would have been um a really great way to tell the story. Yeah. And, in the biopic, I mean. And I think that the, the quote that they used is, um, may God bless you, my dear John Ronald, and may you say the things I have tried to say long after I'm not there to say them, if such be my lot. It's like, wow, that is just heart-wrenching. And it's heart-wrenching because it's true. Like, that's what he actually wrote to him. Um, and I, I just feel like there would have been so much more impact had they done more of that. But then it, that goes back to, okay, but we're blurring the line between war story and, and boyhood uh, school story again. So I think if you do use the letters, you probably, the, the Edith story probably suffers. Yeah. So. Yeah. And again, yeah, you, you just have to, you know, at the start of when you're sitting down and you're like, OK, we have this incredible 
life ahead of us, this story to tell. How are we going to tell it? There are, you know, going to be pieces that fall by the wayside. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's a testament to what an amazing man Tolkien was, is that when you say like, oh, yeah, some pieces fall by the wayside, some of those pieces are really major, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not just like, you know, when you're adapting Fellowship of the Ring into a movie and like, oh, okay, Tom Bombadil's out of there, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, okay, we, (laughs) which for me was a major piece. I want to make that clear. That is a major thing to just fall by the wayside. But yeah, there's like a lot of things that you're not going to be able to work in. And that's why you have to decide like, why are we using, why are we, te- why are we doing a biopic and not a, you know, 10 part Ken Burns documentary, which mm-hmm. at this point I would love to watch. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> about Tolkien, you yeah. know, at this point, let Peter Jackson do it. He did one with the Beatles. Might as well. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Why haven't we... Is Peter Jackson on Twitter? I'm going to tweet at him. Like, <laughs> you need to do a Tolkien documentary. I think that would be excellent. Oh, my God. Yeah, that would be great. Let me think. I'm trying to think of like other, other things about the movie. Oh, so there's this scene, like I mentioned, where Edith and Tolkien go to tea restaurant or whatever. They go to a restaurant, whatever. And they're talking about... He says... I think the most beautiful like musical phrase in the world is cellar door, which of course in a British accent sounds a lot better. Um, and, and they're like saying cellar door over and over again. And at one point, Edith says cellar door. And I'm like, that totally sounds like Elvish. Do you know if this whole cellar door thing was real? Like, was is that based in reality at all? Or did they, ju- did they just make that up? So the... the- idea that cellar door is the most beautiful phrase in the world is variously attributed to a lot of different famous authors. Um, oh, oh and, okay. and I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's something like Tolkien did say it at some point, but he was definitely not the first to say oh, it. Oh, got it. Okay, well, I'll accept that. At least they didn't, you know, totally make that up because that, that was a fun scene watching them talk about language and go back and forth um, with this word. And another fun thing from that scene that actually was is true that I saw is there's a bit where they start throwing sugar cubes at people. And this is what Tolkien and Edith actually would do. They would throw sugar cubes. Um, maybe not. Uh, I don't think it was actually like at people in the restaurant, but they would like sit on a balcony together and throw sugar cubes on the tops of hats of people walking by. And then when the sugar cubes at they, their table ran out, they would just move to the next table. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny um, and, and also really cute that they the, it's such like a minor detail from his life that they like worked in really quickly mm-hmm. into the movie that actually did turn out to be true. So that was fun to find out, um, considering like so much of this movie was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that scene worked well on a lot of levels it it did show more of his his kind of um carefree side which we talked about earlier they they really flattened out in the in the film um i so wish that they had worked with the estate to get rights to things because this story that he makes up has interesting parallels to things that tolkien actually wrote but is nothing like it's not something that he actually wrote. And I would have liked for them to give some kind of nod there to some kind of obscure thing. Mm-hmm. You know, just just little things like that. I think they could have done really, really well had they worked with, you know, copyright holders and things. Yeah. Also, since you brought up this estate, I meant to bring this up at the beginning, but there was a statement released by the Tolkien family and the Tolkien estate. They want to, quote, make clear they did not approve of, authorize, or participate in the making of the film 
and they do not endorse it or its contents in any way. And it doesn't appear that this statement was regarding any like one particular scene or element of the story. I I had heard, you know, beforehand that they disapproved of this movie and, you know, did not authorize it. And I was expecting like, oh, that's because like I'm going to watch it and they're going to like blasphemize Tolkien's name or something or, you know, they're going to do something where they paint him as being like an awful father or something. And none of that really happens, you know. Um, And so it wasn't actually in regards to any particular aspect of the movie. Um, They just the estate seems to have a history and a record of not approving any kind of biopics. So who knows if that Peter Jackson documentary, <laughs> if they would approve of that or not. Hopefully they would. That's not uncommon for any estate of an author, uh, because basically all they're doing is really clarifying, we don't have a hand in this. Um, and and, yeah. and we, mm-hmm. we're not going to say that this is the authoritative film. That's basically all they're doing. They're clarifying their stance on it, which most estates from authors that, that are famous enough to have films like this made about them end up making those kinds of statements fairly regularly. It would be a different thing entirely if, if they put out a statement saying that they, they condemned the film or something, but they didn't do yeah. that. Um, the, the family is a bit, a bit of a different beast than the estate because mm-hmm. there have been members of the family to have different relationships with films than the estate formally has. Um, so like, um, one of the grand grandsons actually really enjoyed the Lord of the Rings films and saw them as a good thing. Right, yeah, and, I thought and, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, they, they are liable to have their own opinions. But uh, of course, the, the formal statement is we don't endorse this film. This isn't the final word on the author. <laughs> right, yeah. So yeah, I feel like I just needed to say that so the Tolkien yeah. estate doesn't come after <laughs> me. Um, <laughs> let me think. Sorry, I'm just looking at my notes. This was a moment where I was like, yeah, that would happen. That makes sense. When Tolkien first gets to his new school, um, the boys try to like play a prank on him or whatever. Mm. And they're going around the room reading Chaucer in in Middle English. Mm -hmm. And the teacher is kind of like popcorning around, you know, you read. Okay, now you read. And one of the boys and Robbie steals Tolkien's book. And then when Tolkien's name is called... He stands up and recites it from memory in Middle English. And I was like, even if that's not, you know, true, that that actually happened or Tolkien actually did have Chaucer memorized in Middle English, I (laughs) firmly believe like that is a very believable scene. I was like, he would. He would. Well, he certainly would by the time he was a professor. Uh, We have we have we have stories of him starting his Beowulf seminars by Uh, As soon as he walked in the back door, starting to recite Beowulf in Old English as he made his way up to the lectern and and reciting the first, I don't remember if it was 30 or 60 lines from memory at the beginning of every seminar just to impress it upon his students. (laughs) The one cool thing I can do kind of related to that is that in um, 12th grade, we had to memorize the Canterbury Tales prologue in Middle English, and I do still have that memorized, so... Um, Paula Brown, if you were listening, my English teacher, then she said she was like, this will come in handy one day. And I mean, it hasn't really, but I do still, you know, brag every now and then like, I know the Canterbury Tales prologue in Middle English, you know, so like. (laughs) Well, okay. now that you've said that, 
For Taseka, let him hath holpen. And then my teacher would all, she would always do this long pause. She would go, that him hath holpen. When that they were Seika. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Did very you also nice. have to memorize it in, in 12th yes. grade English? Uh, 11th grade, <laughs> and, and recite yes. it in kind of a traumatizing way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting up in front of everyone. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I've pretty much brought up anything I might have wanted to bring up about the movie my my main thing is just that you know they you have this very interesting man probably like one of the world's most interesting men ever and he created such a fantastic set of fiction and yet this is one of the most boring uninteresting <laughs> story uh, uh movies about that man that you mm-hmm. could ever and you know what honestly you know props to the creators that that's very hard to do <laughs> you took a very interesting life and story of a very interesting man and you did something in a way that made it so uninteresting mm. so congratulations i don't know <laughs> yeah i i think it's i think it suffered the opposite of the hobbit uh, problems i i think you know, whereas The Hobbit, you you had a lot of time for it to breathe and, and so much so that they kept packing more into it. Uh, with with this movie, I feel like they tried to condense, condense, condense so much. They just ended out, they, they cut the heart out of this film, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, like the, like we were saying earlier, costuming, sets, actors, all that's great. So they have a good foundation to work with. It's just the writing lost heart somewhere. And I think it's just, yeah. they, they they were trying to go way too fast with it. And, and I think that probably led to a lot of the confusion of, you know, when were they married? Those kinds of things. Like I could see that being where you lose the character development and where you get the timeline wrong. Yeah. But the end product has to speak for itself and it just doesn't at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I think, um, I think the thing that most people would be interested to learn or know about Tolkien is, well, how did he get to the point where he wrote The Hobbit? Or how did how did he sit down one day and start writing Lord of the Rings? What was that like? Or even, you know, showing what his life was like after all of that. And, you know, even though it wasn't like, you know, he was no J.K. Rowling, where like he lived to see it grow into obviously what it is today. And it it did have popularity when he was alive, but like not anything, you know, like mass, you know, hysteria over Harry Potter was when it was published, you know, so like, but like even just getting to see how his life was like after it was published would have been cool. And so I think those are the things that even just like an everyday person who you know, just maybe knows about Lord of the Rings and, you know, the background of of their, you know, of pop culture would want to know is like, how did Lord of the Rings come to be? And this movie doesn't really tell that. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) It kind of sets it up, but but not really. Mm -hmm. So, well, that was a really disappointing note to end the conversation (laughs) on. Um, Is there anything, uh, was there anything else you wanted to say about the movie before we wrap up? I I do think it's, one of the characters who gets the shortest shrift out of the whole thing is Hillary Tolkien. 
um, his brother is just like right, forgotten. yeah. <laughs> like I was, I was waiting for some kind of scene, like the kind of really the only moment we get is when after his their their mother has died and they're waiting for Father Francis to come out of talking to the the boarding lady. And he's like walking around and then like they hear the door open and then he goes and sits down really quick. Mm -hmm. And it was just like that simple little moment of like being, a I don't know, a little brother or whatever. And yeah, we don't really see much of him. And he does make a brief appearance at the end when they're walking in the woods. At first, I didn't know that's who it was until until they started talking. (laughs) Yeah, he's because Tolkien or J.R.R. says, you know, do you remember when mother would have us, you know, run around in the woods and talk to the trees? And he's there for some reason. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, like, I would love to know more about Tolkien's brother. Yeah. (laughs) And then I also I didn't like the scene where um the scene you talked about where edith is like what are you doing with your writing by all accounts she was always very supportive of him tolkien was known to kind of dawdle and piddle around with things and not finish things sometimes and and um heck he he would give projects away like (laughs) he would come up with an idea for scholarship and talk to one of his students about it and his students would like it and he'd be like okay well you go publish that (laughs) like (laughs) he would give things away and, and not finish things and things like that but and so, you know, I am sure at some times she did kind of have to kick him in the butt a little bit to get him to finish something. But, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis had to do that for him, too. But to choose that as the one scene that we have of them later on, I feel like is a disservice because from all the sources we have, they had a very happy marriage. There was there was one source of tension, um, and that was she had to convert to Catholicism and not that she disliked Catholicism, but she was certainly not as devoted as he was. But she supported him in that as well. But other than that, we, we it seems like it was a perfectly happy marriage. And so that was just an odd yeah. choice to make to be the representative scene of their marriage. And and also after um after the movie ends, we get, you know, a few titles that pop up and explain Tolkien would go on to write The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, some of the world's best-selling novels mm-hmm. ever read. Mm-hmm. And one of the last ones we see is about um how their gravestones say, you know, these elven names. It doesn't even say like Tolkien says Baron mm-hmm. Baron and hers says Luthien. That's one of the things that I think a lot of people know already about like famously Edith and J.R.R. Tolkien have Baron and Luthien on their gravestones. And I was expecting to see some kind of scene where we see that parallel where Tolkien kind of looks at her and, you know, has this moment of like, I'm in love with, you know, mm-hmm. I am the mortal man in love with an elf, you know, an elvish woman named Luthien, you know, and that didn't happen at all. And I was like, that would have been a great, you know, part of their love story to tell. I think that was it. Was there, sorry, was there something else you were going to say? The last scene before it starts adding like the the appendices stuff on the end with uh, Smith's mother, the movie does what a lot of valorizing media does. It, it makes the men seem like icons, uh, the the standalone shape the world, pulling themselves up by the boot, their bootstraps. They're not part of a community. They did it all on their own, that kind of a thing. And it does it to an extreme. So in this instance, Tolkien did not ask Smith's mom to publish the work. Smith's mom came to Tolkien and to- asked him to publish the work. Oh, yeah, that's quite a plot to it. It's because in this scene, she initially says no. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know why they wrote it like that, because 
you had this previous scene of him telling her, you know, your son is really a talented writer and poet. And she doesn't at that point seem to know anything about that. And so that could have been, you know, her realization. So it would have made total sense. It wouldn't have been out of the blue all of a sudden for his mother to come to him and say, I want to publish his poetry. Will you write a foreword? You know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, wow, that's really crazy mm-hmm. and terrible wow yeah. that's awful that they put the scene that they wrote the scene like mm-hmm. that and christopher wiseman was also involved in that that uh, attempt to publish and they just cut him out entirely and they also seem to suggest that christopher wiseman has like ptsd or something yeah which isn't i mean i'm <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure they all did you know at one point or another well, but christopher wiseman spent most of the war at a training facility helping to train naval officers he so he had i mean for like he didn't see active combat oh my god that's good because yeah he does say um because um jeffrey's mother does say like have you heard about any others or whatever and he says oh and yeah christopher well some of us have yeah scars that will never heal Mm -hmm. and so i thought we were gonna have a little you know post word you know, credit or whatever, saying like Christopher Wiseman was shot in the neck and paralyzed. Nothing ever came of that line. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, If you follow up with John Garth's work, it seems like the movie has swapped around some of the characters. Um, So in real life, Christopher Wiseman was probably the one that Tolkien was closest to, not G.B. Smith. Um, The movie also gets very confusing about it seems like they all went to college together in the movie, but they didn't. Two of them went to Cambridge, two of them went to Oxford. Okay, Um, yeah, I did get that, but they were still like hanging out a lot. (laughs) It just... If you only watch this movie and you didn't know anything about the UK, you would think Cambridge and Oxford were next door to each other. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all like having a picnic together mm-hmm. the day after they get arrested. Yeah. That's really crazy. Well, thank you for coming on and setting us straight for <laughs> for all of these, you know, really cool stories for what could have been a really great movie. Thank you for giving us the idea of that Peter Jackson <laughs> documentary series i don't know why it hasn't happened well it it should i have also said that we should all throw money at him to just film the um tom bombadil scenes as just like a little drop in that we can do for the extended editions oh my gosh (laughs) yes oh i would i'm down for that yes oh my gosh let's get some crowdfunding going listeners there's a link in the description for the gofundme just kidding there isn't well thank you so much for coming on thank you for dealing with me almost dying halfway through the episode um where can people find you on the internet and what would you like to share with the audience well thank you so much for having me it's been it's been a great joy um so easiest way to find me is uh luke hyphen shelton.com um there you can find my tolkien experience project which is um people sharing their history with tolkien's work and their experiences um and you can also find the tolkien experience podcast um which is kind of the same motivation people sharing their experiences but it's uh more uh notable people people you may have heard of scholars uh community organizers things like that uh, as well as um some people from my text-based project who just had really interesting histories, like uh, someone who started by reading the appendices first, (laughs) those kinds of things. That is very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I still, to this day, have not read the appendices, which I know I've been, you know, yelled at and fingers have been shaken at me for not doing that yet. (laughs) Well, you don't have to read all the appendices, but 
You do need to read the parts that finish the stories of the fellowship. Like those yeah, just I did heal read your heart. The, um, <laughs> I did read the timeline where, mm. of like the events that happened to them. And in particular, the one that I just scream at every time is that Pippin named his son after Faramir. Oh my <laughs> God, just just stab me in the heart. And then no, the one that I scream about is Legolas sneaking Gimli into <laughs> the Undying Land. Have have you read uh, the story of Aragorn and Arwen from the appendices? I have not. And I heard to not do that because it apparently is very depressing or something. It is, but <laughs> it's also just, oh, it, it heals your heart, though, in some ways. If, yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe I'll give it a try. Maybe. I mean, we are kind of heading into, um, you know, an era for the podcast of like, maybe it is time for me to circle back <laughs> and start doing some of these things that I may have missed or reading these these side stories or these short stories or whatever, which I will eventually get to. Mm-hmm. I was just laughing because you were talking about like, yeah, on the podcast, I have scholars and bullet. And then I'm like, and then there's me. I host this silly little podcast. <laughs> and but, but your podcast I... is awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, I I just love laughing at myself and how like I came in here. I came into the Lord of the Rings game knowing nothing and just I makes I make fun of Tolkien so much for loving horses and talking about trees too much and stuff but of course it's all in a loving manner that's what i'm talking about as a proud member of wbne if you want to learn more about the network you can go to wbne.org where you will find all of our shows like curly critics the cover art is by vaishan brandon you can support him on instagram at vaishan designs you can get merch for that's what i'm talking about by going to tpublic.com slash user slash talking about pod you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Talking About Pod. You can find me on Twitter at MC WhatsApp and Instagram at MC Turndown for What. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash talkingaboutpod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. You can join Discord for $3 a month, or you can become a sponsor of the podcast like Johan. Johan, thank you so much for all of your continued support of the podcast. I so much appreciate it. As always, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. You can now rate on Spotify as well. So if you are a listener on Spotify, please scroll up, scroll down to the side. Take it back now, y'all. I don't know where. I don't know how to rate on Spotify, but I know you can do it because I think there's 27 of you that have done it so far. We got a five-star rating. Woo! Love to see it. So if you listen on Spotify, please take a moment to rate the podcast. And now, what are we doing next week? Well, we are watching the Soviet Union era TV adaptation of The Hobbit. There is a link in the episode description if you wish to watch that. That's just on YouTube. I will warn you that if you look it up yourself to watch, make sure to find a version that says real captions in the title because there is a version out there that someone has captioned with totally wrong translations. But I have also heard that's equally hilarious. So you know what? You do you. Watch whatever version you want. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? The thing that I always try to do with with all of my projects is I want to find all of the pockets of Tolkien fandom and scholarship and and, and interest and and uh, dalliance, even just if, if you passingly heard of Tolkien and, and trying to find ways to bridge them all together to to basically allow people from every walk of life, every every social group, every facet of fandom to engage and interact in meaningful ways. That's one of the driving forces for me in all the work that I do. And and it's one of the reasons why I love your podcast so much. I listen to every episode and it's um it's always refreshing to hear someone who is new to the to the uh, texts to experience it for the first time because it allows 
the rest of us who read it way too often to get a fresh, uh, fresh wind every once in a while. So, so keep doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. Well, thank you. Those, those very kind and very cool. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.